Hello everybody and welcome to this special crossover jubilee episode of a Flatpak History of Sweden and the Scandinavian History podcast. We are Chris and Osa from a Flatpak History of Sweden and Michael from the Scandinavian History podcast. This is a special crossover jubilee episode to celebrate... Mark. Sorry, what? To Mark. We're not here to celebrate anything. No, true. Let's use a more neutral term. This is a special crossover jubilee episode to mark the end of the Kalmar Union and 500 years of Swedish independence. Exactly. And that came about through the end of the Kalmar Union in June 1523, so 500 years and a few weeks ago. If you're a regular listener to either of our two podcasts, you're probably familiar with the Kalmar Union already. It was basically a union between the three Scandinavian kingdoms, Denmark, Norway and Sweden, that was established in the end of the 14th century and ended in 1523 when Sweden decided to go it alone and elected a king of its own called Gustav Eriksson Vasa. Uh, spoilers there. Yes, basically. Of course, it's a little more complicated than that. Things always are. There had been a lot of tension for almost all of the 15th century, and the Swedes and the Danes spent most of that century in intermittent fighting and negotiations about who should be king of the Union and what limits should be applied to that rule. In the end, Christian II wanted to put an end to the whole mess by killing off all Swedish nobles who'd been able to uh, oppose him. That event is known as the Stockholm bloodbath, and it almost succeeded. But one nobleman, that Gustav Vasa character, got away and he started a rebellion that morphed into the Swedish War of Independence and in June 1523 he was elected King of Sweden, putting an end to the Kalmar Union once and for all. And uh, if you're interested in more details about all those complications, including the fighting, the negotiations and the bloodbathing, we recommend that you listen to our shows, since both A Flatpak History of Sweden and the Scandinavian History Podcast have spent quite a lot of time talking about the Kalmar Union, its establishment, its rocky existence, and are currently at least knee-deep in the story of the collapse of the Union. This was a momentous occasion in Scandinavian history in general, and Swedish history in particular, and so we thought it would be worthwhile to make a special crossover jubilee episode involving both our two podcasts. This episode is published simultaneously in the feed of both A Flatback History of Sweden and the Scandinavian History Podcast. So, in order to not repeat what we've already covered, or will soon cover on our respective podcasts, we're not going to be talking too much about what the Kalmar Union was, or analysing its existence. Instead, we've gotten our crystal balls out and had a look at what we think might have happened had history taken a different turn and the Union hadn't collapsed in 1523. Indeed, what would have happened if the Kalmar Union hadn't collapsed, but instead survived not only the crisis of the 1520s, but all the way until our day? What would that country's history have looked like? And what would a 21st century Kalmar Union look like? And do we think having a Kalmar Union instead of five independent countries would have been a good or a bad thing? You know... Among professional historians, asking that what-if question is a big no-no, definitely frowned upon. You're not supposed to involve yourself in such frivolous things as idle speculations about what might have been. It's seen as a telltale sign of an amateur. 
But you agree that it would be an interesting topic for our episode? Oh yeah, for sure. We should definitely do it. All right, so let's get this show on the road then. So let's start off with some basics, like what current day countries would be included in a 2023 version of the Kalmar Union and which city would be its capital? I think it's most likely that Copenhagen would have been the capital of the 21st century Kalmar Union. During the period of the Kalmar Union in real life, capitals weren't that much of a big deal. It was a hub for the government and such, but the kings and queens needed to travel around a lot more. But of course, we're now talking about a modern-day Kalmar Union in this exercise, so our modern union will definitely need an official capital. I think there's a chance that Stockholm would have replaced Copenhagen at some point. It's true that Denmark was the most important constituent country in the Middle Ages, since the economy back then was mostly based on agriculture, and Denmark was the country best suited for that. But later, with industrialization, Sweden overtook Denmark, both in terms of natural resources, with all the iron and wood, and in terms of the industries. Sure, Sweden today is by far the richest of the two countries, and with the largest population by far. But I'm not sure the capital would have changed just because of that. I mean, look at a country like the United States, where New York is the financial powerhouse of the country, but Washington DC is still the capital. The same goes for Australia, where Sydney is the leading city, but Canberra is the capital. And those countries you mentioned are both federal states, and I guess the Kalmar Union would have been one as well. At least it was a sort of federation in the Middle Ages, when the three countries were united by their common monarch, even though they had their own laws. So if we apply that example, perhaps Gothenburg would have become the capital. Much like Kalmar and Halmstad were venues for pan-union meetings of representatives from all three kingdoms during the Middle Ages, perhaps Gothenburg, or some other new-founded city with another name but situated in the rough same location, would have been founded some time to serve as a new capital, easily accessible from all three kingdoms. Gothenburg is at least a good location for all three kingdoms, or perhaps they could have used Kalmar. That makes sense. I rather like that. But I still think the capital would have been Copenhagen. But no one thinks Oslo's in the running, right? Even though Norway is way richer than both Denmark and Sweden today, thanks to all their oil. No, no, definitely not. Okay, let's make it a little more complicated. What language do you think they'd be speaking? Or we'd be speaking? Danish? Swedish? Latin, maybe. They did use that in many places in Europe during the time of the actual Union. Although I guess it died out everywhere, so there's no real reason it would have remained in the Kalmar Union. Actually, considering that the standardization of the orthography of the various Scandinavian languages was fixed after the dissolution of the Kalmar Union, and the translations of the Bible into the various languages were so consequential for the development of the different languages, don't you think a preserved Kalmar Union might have led to the development of one unified Scandinavian language? Perhaps with big variations in dialects, but still one standard for spelling and grammar. I'm not sure about Latin. It's true that it was an important language for the church and for international communication. But in Scandinavia, secular domestic texts were written in local vernaculars already at this time. I mean, in the Middle Ages. So I don't think Latin would have survived in the way it did in some other places like Hungary, for instance, especially not after the Protestant Reformation. But I think that what you're saying about the Scandinavian languages makes a lot of sense. 
I guess Icelandic would still have developed into its own thing, since it did so even though Iceland wasn't independent. And Finnish too. It's really the odd man out in this context, and not immediately intelligible to speakers of Scandinavian languages. It's so different that it couldn't be part of the harmonization of the Scandinavian languages and would have remained its own thing unless it would have been stamped out completely, which seems an extremely unlikely scenario. Finnish had its first official text written a few decades after the dissolution of the Kalmar Union, and its grammar was standardized by Mikael Agricola in the 16th century. And that would probably have happened even if the Union had survived. I mean, today a lot of people still speak Swedish in Finland, and it's one of the two official languages, but Finnish is now the dominating language in almost all parts of the country. Anyway, the Scandinavian languages. Norwegian, Danish and Swedish. They were still similar enough in the Middle Ages for one common standardized language to develop in the 16th century. So I definitely think you're right about that. And just imagine, if the Kalmar Union had survived, we'd actually be able to understand what Danish people are saying. That would have been brilliant. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no problem understanding Danish. <laughs> well, that's because you grew up in southern Sweden, I guess. We more unfortunate souls who lived further north and weren't exposed to Danish on a regular basis as children tend to struggle when Danes are talking. Unfortunate indeed, because I think Danish is quite a cool language. I like their bad words in particular. <laughs> That's true. It's ironic that now you, who understand Danish, actually live in Stockholm, where this is basically considered a superpower. And I live in Skåne, where people look at me weirdly whenever I tell them I don't understand Danish. Or the local Swedish dialect, for that matter. Sometimes I'm not even sure what my own kids are saying, because they're soaking up the local lingo like little sponges. Basically, it's a source of constant shame that I watch The Bridge or Borium with subtitles on. Speaking of the Danish political TV drama series Borjan, what do you think the political structure of a 21st century Kalmar Union would look like? Since all the five Nordic countries today are parliamentary democracies with proportional elections and unicameral parliaments, I guess it's reasonable to assume that a 2023 version of the Kalmar Union would also be structured that way, perhaps with the tweak that it may be having a upper and a lower house in its parliament if we have that more federal structure of the union like it had back then. But we think it would still be a monarchy, right? I think it would, yeah. And I think a member of the Glücksberg family, the royal family that's currently occupying the Danish and Norwegian thrones, would be the current monarch of the Kalmar Union. Why not the current queen, uh, Margaret II of Denmark? I rather like her. I, I think that would be great. Yeah, that's true. She is my favorite of the current Scandinavian monarchs. Uh, I guess you don't think the Bernadots who uh, occupy the Swedish throne today would stand a chance, though? Uh, not really, no. I mean, the only way I see a Frenchman ending up on the throne is if the Kalmar Union would have been occupied by France during the Napoleonic Wars. And Napoleon having forced one of his guys onto the Scandinavians, like he did on the, in Netherlands, Spain, Naples, and so on. But even in that situation, I think he'd pick someone else, because he didn't particularly like or trust Bernadotte. So I think his chances would be rather slim. Wait, back up a bit. I think we should probably explain a little bit more about how the Norwegian and Danish thrones are still linked to this very day, or at least they are through family ties. Sure. Uh, so... 
way back when Norway gained its independence from Sweden in 1905, they decided to remain a monarchy, so they invited a Danish prince, a younger son of Crown Prince Frederick of Denmark, to become king of Norway. He only had to change his name from Karl to Håkon first, because you can't be king of Norway and be called Karl, obviously, because that's too Swedish a name. And uh, Chris, since I know that you love family trees so much, let me add this. Håkon married Princess Maud, the daughter of King Edward VII of England, and Håkon and Maud were actually first cousins, because Maud's mother, Queen Alexandra of England, was Håkon's aunt. She and Håkon's father, Frederick, were both children of King Christian IX of Denmark. Plus, the king of Sweden today, Carl Gustav XVI, is cousins with the current queen of Denmark. Her mother was the sister of the king's dad, who actually never became king because he died before his own father, in a plane crash soon after takeoff from Copenhagen airport, no less. So they're kind of all related in one way or another. Yeah, you're right, Michael. This is a really great family tree when you look at it. So uh, now let's move on, shall we? We don't think the Calmo Union of today would have been a republic? Yeah, no, not really a republic, no. The only Nordic republics we have, Finland and Iceland, are the ones that gained independence most recently. As I just mentioned, the Norwegians chose a king back in 1905. In fact, the Finns didn't plan to establish a republic at all, first at least. They had actually decided to become a monarchy and had even chosen a German prince who was about to move to Finland and take the job as king of Finland. And he has a pretty cool backstory. The Finns had chosen a German prince because they felt they needed the protection of the German Empire in case the Russians would ever try to recapture Finland, which they were right to feel as this obviously happened later in 1939. And when Finland declared independence, Germany was still a monarchy, so it made sense to choose a German prince as king. But by the time that prince was ready to travel to Finland, the Kaiser had been deposed and Germany had become a republic. And at that point, the Finns didn't see the value in a German prince anymore, so they cancelled the invitation and became a republic instead. Moving on. Which countries would be a part of the Kalmar Union today? Do we think all five Nordic countries would still be included? In a way, it's a part of the premise of the exercise that the Kalmar Union would have remained intact and all three constituent kingdoms covering the five Nordic countries of today would still be a part of the Union. But if we're speculating, let's start with the easy ones. Denmark would definitely still be in. Denmark was the cornerstone of the Kalmar Union back then, and if you'd take it out of the equation, there's really nothing left. Yeah, it's a bit like removing Russia from the Soviet Union. Without that, there's basically no union left. Exactly, and Sweden too would have to remain. Otherwise, you can't really talk about the Kalmar Union. After 1523, when only Denmark and Norway remained in the Union, they stopped talking about it in terms of the Kalmar Union. I guess it made no sense to keep calling it the Kalmar Union when the town of Kalmar ceased to be part of it. But yeah, Denmark and Norway remained in union with one another until 1814, when Denmark lost control and Norway was instead forced into a union with Sweden. So Denmark and Sweden are definitely needed to make up the Kalmar Union, and Norway would likely also be a part of it. But I'm not sure Norway would be absolutely needed for the Kalmar Union to exist. But I still think Norway would be in, you're right. 
There weren't major revolts against the Danish-Norwegian Union at the time, and I don't think there is any reason to believe they'd be of any different mind if the Kalmar Union had remained all the way up until the modern day. The same goes for Iceland, at least until the 20th century. The Icelanders are far off on their North Atlantic island, and their strategic importance in the 20th century is so great that if they'd have any kind of independence movement, and the Kalmar Union had ended up on the opposite side of the US or the UK in one of the world wars, the Icelanders may very well have gained independence, aided by the Americans or the British. But not on their own. I don't think so, no. If the Kalmar Union was still a thing, I guess it would have a strong fleet and a more imperialist outlook than the small state attitude that characterizes the Nordic countries today. It probably would have been impossible for the Kalmar Union politicians to accept Icelandic independence without a fight. So Finland would also still be part of the Union then? Probably, yes, unless, of course, there would have been some catastrophic war with Russia and Finland would have been lost, which is exactly what happened to Sweden in 1809. I agree. Finland is probably the weakest link, much because of its geographical location. It's far removed from the most populous areas of the rest of the Union, and, of course, there's the proximity to Russia. I mean, once... The Russians established themselves in the Gulf of Finland and built their capital, St. Petersburg, there. I think it was only a matter of time until they tried to take at least the northern shore of the Gulf of Finland and the Arvenanma archipelago to safeguard St. Petersburg. It's also the furthest away from the triangle of trade and power based around Oslo, Gothenburg, Copenhagen and Stockholm. The eastern part of Finland is really far from this area of the Union. And if the Danes were still the driving force in the Kalmar Union when that would have happened, they'd probably not prioritize the eastern border and protect it from possible Russian expansionist desires. A bit like what actually happened when the Kalmar Union still existed in the 15th century, and the kings based in Denmark focused on war with Schleswig, and the Swedes complained that they neglected the eastern borderland. So that way, Finland would still be lost to the Kalmar Union, potentially. But as someone who's been to Norway literally more times than I can count, I know that they love their national day of the 17th of May, and this all started to kick off as a political process just in the last 130 years or so. So why wouldn't this happen in a Kalmar Union too, especially if they're still the junior, perhaps neglected brother in the Union? Well, true. Maybe the leaders of the Kalmar Union would be having to face down these kinds of political movements even though the Norwegian independence movement in the early 19th century got a big boost from the switch from Danish to Swedish rule. They felt that if the Danes were willing to give up on them, they should be allowed to rule themselves instead of having to accept Swedish supremacy. If the Kalmar Union had remained, that particular tension would never have occurred, so you never know what would have happened. But I do think it's a greater possibility that Finland would have started to ask these sort of questions by the start of the early 20th century. But on the other hand, the Finnish national movement, as it developed in the 19th century, was to a large extent provoked by the Russian conquest and the Russification of Finland, and the fact that Finland no longer was part of Sweden. And perhaps ironically, many of the early leading Finnish nationalists were actually Swedes with only a rudimentary grasp of the Finnish language. Their slogan was something like, we're no longer Swedes, we don't wish to become Russians, so let's be Finns. 
So perhaps it would still have been Russia that would have dealt with Finnish nationalism, even if the Kalmar Union had remained. We saw a lot of monarchies and unions face trouble during and after World War I, with Austria-Hungary, Russia, Germany and the British Empire to a certain extent, certainly after World War II. So how would this have affected the Kalmar Union? I guess the first question is, whose side would they have been on? That's an excellent and potentially sensitive question. Once again, I think we'd see the Union being put to the test in these pan-European conflicts because the two leading constituent countries, Denmark and Sweden, would have had such different interests, priorities and experiences. Sweden were traditionally more pro-German and anti-Russian, whereas the Danes were more pro-Russian and anti-German. This makes a lot of sense, considering that Sweden and Russia shared a border and would have fought several wars over where exactly that border should go, and the Danes have a similar experience from their proximity to the Germans. You're right. I think, and here I'm really only speculating wildly, that the decision to join the First World War, and uh, on whose side, would probably have to come down to what had happened in Schleswig-Holstein in the late 19th century. In our current timeline, the one we're living in, Denmark lost a humiliating war against Prussia in 1864, a war where Sweden, or at least the King of Sweden, had promised to aid the Danes, but then backed out out of that promise. If there had been a war between the Kalmar Union and Prussia in the 1860s, and especially if the Prussians would have won, I think the Kalmar Union may have joined the war on the side of the Brits, the French and the Russians in order to take back Schleswig from the Germans. But if the War of 1864 would never have happened and Schleswig would have remained Danish, then perhaps the Kalmar Union would have stayed neutral in the First World War. So to sum up, if the Kalmar Union would still exist today, the capital would probably be Copenhagen, the people would speak Scandinavian, and the individual languages of Danish, Norwegian and Swedish would have never developed, but Icelandic and Finnish would still be around. The Kalmar Union would be a monarchy with a Danish king or queen, and if any of the Nordic countries wouldn't be inside the Kalmar Union, it would likely be Finland due to Russia getting involved in the fun. Yeah, that's basically the long and the short of it. Okay, so now when we've established what the Kalmar Union would have looked like if it had still existed today, there's another forbidden question that's a big fat taboo among professional historians today. But I think it's relevant in a context where we mourn... Mourn? Really? That's quite a strong word as well. Fair enough. Let's stick with Mark. So when we mark the end of the Kalmar Union... and. That forbidden question, of course, is, was it a good thing that the Kalmar Union ended? You're right, that is a loaded question. And for centuries, judging whether this or that historical event was a good thing or not was an essential part of being a historian. But political, cultural and societal developments in the second half of the 20th century changed all of that. Today, historians are much more aware of cultural biases. And if they approach this question at all, they tend to ask for whom something is a good thing. Yeah, so let me rephrase the question in a way that's at least slightly more palatable to the sensitivities of modern historians. Was the end of the Kalmar Union a good thing in our opinion? 
Well, it could be argued that the Kalmar Union never actually worked. Between its creation in 1397 and Sweden finally leaving it once and for all in 1523, there were numerous internal conflicts. At times, the kingdoms elected separate leaders and monarchs. There were the constant tensions between the monarchy, the nobility and the peasantry, not least in Sweden. So, considering all those problems, maybe it was best for everyone that it just went away. Then again, it's not like there was peace ever after and life was wonderful in Scandinavia after the Union either, so maybe being in or being out of the Union actually didn't make that much of a difference if we look at stability and quality of life. And who knows, in a parallel universe where the Kalmar Union remained, they were maybe able to iron out those internal struggles and proceed together towards peace and prosperity in the way we did as separate countries in the 19th and 20th century, and maybe even be stronger together on the international scene. Personally, I love being Scandinavian. I've worked a bit abroad, and especially outside of Europe, where Sweden is, let's be honest, quite an obscure country somewhere far away in the icy cold north, and the difference between our countries appear minuscule in context. Well, there, I have no problem with being considered as being from Scandinavia, or from the Nordics, or even from that vaguely general part of Northern Europe. I appreciate that when viewed from the outside, we appear so similar that it's hard to tell us apart. I also like that there is this sense of unity between the Scandinavian countries on the world stage. I know some people who work in diplomacy and international relations, and they do often try to work together with other Scandinavian countries to amplify their voices in whatever international negotiation or situation it might be. And I think that makes sense. Like I said, we are, after all, five tiny blobs up in the cold north that are relatively insignificant if we're honest, at least in geopolitical or realpolitik terms. So if we join together, well, then we become a slightly bigger, slightly less insignificant blob and might have a greater chance at getting our opinions across. And when we do that internationally in matters that I personally value and that I think we're quite good at, like democracy, human rights, including LGBTQI rights, gender equality, women's rights, peace, well, then I'm Team Scandinavia all the way. And who knows, if we had remained as one entity, as the Kalmar Union, maybe we would have had more power for those good things on the world stage. But then again, I'm not sure. Even as a Kalmar Union, we would have been a relatively small player on the modern-day world stage. Finally, another reason why I love being from Scandinavia and what's good about living here now is that we are so close, but at the same time different. On a purely personal level, I love that when I'm down in southern Sweden, 
I can hop on the ferry or the train across the bridge and go to Denmark for a few hours. And things are slightly different. There's slightly different food in the shops and restaurants. The news in the papers are a bit different. The shows and concerts that are on are a bit different. So I get something new. It's exciting. I get a bit of a holiday. But at the same time, it's also so similar. I speak the language, or rather the languages are mutually intelligible to a certain extent. So I know where everything is and how everything works. And that is true wherever I go in Scandinavia. I can also strike up a conversation or begin forming a friendship with a Dane, a Norwegian, a Finn or an Icelander quite easily based on our many shared frames of references. The fact that we are Scandinavian, that we are close and similar, yet separate and different, is a really lovely fact of life here, in my opinion. So in that sense, I guess it's a good thing that the Kalmar Union failed and we became separate independent states, so that we could be different, but also remain close. Hmm, interesting. Personally, I'm torn. On the one hand, all those wars between Denmark and Sweden that plague the 15th, 16th, 17th and 18th centuries would probably never have happened if the Kalmar Union had remained. That would have been a serious boon to a lot of people who wouldn't have been forced to go to war or have armies traipsing through their villages, wheat fields and backyards with all the misery that that brings with it. On the other hand, as you said Osa, even after the Union was dissolved, there were plenty of rebellions in the various Scandinavian countries So maybe it's a little naive to think that there wouldn't have been any fighting just because the Union would have remained. Also, as you point out, the century or so when the Union did exist wasn't exactly always peaceful. Also, as you mentioned, the five Nordic countries together would be a force to be reckoned with, both politically and financially. If the population would be roughly the same as the combined populations of the five countries today, that would mean that the Kalmar Union would have a population of approximately 28 million inhabitants, almost as many as Texas and more than Australia or Taiwan. Its GDP would be almost 1,800 billion US dollars, and that's roughly the same as Spain or the Benelux region, that's Belgium, the Netherlands and Luxembourg combined, and that's not nothing. But on the other hand, it would have been impossible for such a large and strong European state to stay out of the wars of the 20th century. All of Scandinavia managed to stay out of the First World War, but would that have been possible if the Kalmar Union would still have existed? As I mentioned before, I think the Kalmar Union might have been drawn into the First World War for revanchist reasons if it had lost Schleswig to Germany in the 1860s. In the case of the Second World War, the risk of involvement would have been even greater. I mean, in reality, what really happened was that Nazi Germany invaded Denmark and Norway and the Soviet Union invaded Finland. I'm pretty sure at least the German invasion would still have happened, unless the Kalmar Union would have been an ally of Nazi Germany, like Italy or Hungary. Or perhaps the Germans and the Soviets would have agreed to split the Kalmar Union between them, just like they agreed to partition Poland in the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. In that scenario, the Germans would have invaded Denmark, Sweden and Norway, and at the same time the Soviet Union would have taken Finland. So basically, the only way I see the Kalmar Union avoiding being invaded during the Second World War would have been for the country to become a German ally. Uh, But that, in turn, would not have ended well. 
Uh, so you don't think that a Scandinavian or Kalmar Union participation on the side of Nazi Germany might have tipped the scales of war in Germany's favour? And what if this potential anti-German feeling after the Schleswig situation made the Union join the Allies? No, I don't think the Union would have been able to help Germany win the war. I mean, even though the Kalmar Union would be a rich and powerful country, it wouldn't be able to measure up against the United States and the Soviet Union. Besides, the resources of Norway and Denmark were already at the disposal of the Germans. And to be perfectly honest, the Swedes provided Berlin with everything they asked for without the need for an invasion. So no, the Kalmar Union wouldn't have been able to win the Second World War for Germany. The war would probably have ended with a catastrophe for the Scandinavians, perhaps even partition, like in the case of Germany and Austria. And if there had been a late war coup or other change of government and an attempt to distance the country from Nazi Germany, we might even have seen a German invasion and vengeance of the kind the German army exacted in Italy, Hungary and Finland at the end of the war. I honestly don't see a realistic scenario where the Kalmar Union would have joined the Allies during the Second World War, with the exception of Iceland, which was technically actually occupied by Britain during the war. Even if the Union had been pro-British, like Denmark and Norway, in real life, the German attack in April 1940 was so sudden that the fighting had hardly started for real before it was over for the Scandinavians. And I know the Norwegians fought long and heroically in the spring of 1940, but I still don't see how it would have ended any differently. If France wasn't able to withstand the Nazi-German onslaught, I can't see how the Scandinavians would have been able to fight off an invasion and then become a useful ally to Britain. One last thing, Osa, you mentioned all these progressive ideals and policies that the Nordic countries champion today. I'm not convinced, actually, that the political landscape of the Kalmar Union would have been such that these values would have been so universally embraced like they are today. Both Danish and Swedish conservatism were dealt lethal blows in 1864 and 1905 after the loss of Schleswig and Norway, respectively. But if those humiliating defeats hadn't happened, and Denmark and Sweden hadn't been forced to readjust to being small states, Scandinavian conservatism might have survived and thrived also today in a way that we see in other European countries. All in all, I think I actually agree with Osa. If I have to have an opinion, it's probably a good thing that the Kalmar Union didn't survive until the 20th century. Yeah, it's really interesting, and I'm not really sure how I feel about it being a, a Brit visiting and living in Scandinavia, but looking at it from a cultural perspective, a modern-day Kalmar Union would certainly be a dominant power when it came to sports. A joint football team would surely do better than the individual countries, even if Denmark did manage to sneak a win in the Euros way back when. And in winter sports, everyone else might as well just go home. They would dominate in most of the skiing and biathlon events and be a decent shot at Eurovision too. And don't forget ice hockey. <laughs> yeah, and the ice hockey, even better. I mean, combine the Swedish and the Finnish teams. Gold every year. <laughs> exactly. But as someone who thinks sports get actually a bit boring when one team wins continuously, then it's definitely a good thing that the Kalmar Union ended. But then coming into politics and touching on what also talked about regarding GDP and economy and so on, a Kalmar Union in the European Union would be a biggish political player or even a richer Nordic neighbour on the outside 
decide like Norway is now. Whichever one is better is a massively hypothetical question, and as a Brit, I definitely shouldn't be giving people advice on their relationship with the EU, so I'll, I'll leave that there for now. Whichever way, though, I would be happy for them to keep the various kroner currencies as an amalgamated Kalmar Union kroner. Um, sorry, Finland, no, no euro for you. From a historical perspective, though, I'm tempted to side with both of you guys and say it's probably a good thing that the Kalmar Union collapsed. Not necessarily when it did, but that it doesn't survive to the modern day, at least. A Kalmar Union trying to navigate World War II and other big geopolitical events would have been extremely interesting to witness, and from someone living in Sweden would almost certainly have meant a big change in how the last 50 or so years have played out, with Swedish towns and cities being bombed and or service men and women falling in combat, and that would have changed a lot when it came to the Swedish political situation as it is now. The Kalmar Union probably wouldn't have been able to remain neutral during the Cold War like Finland and Sweden did either. There's so many things to think about. It's a massive hypothetical question, really. That's interesting. I, I think when we consider all of the points we've raised about what it would be like if the Kalmar Union still existed and looked at both potential good and bad things with that, it becomes clear how complex the question really is. Yeah, and like you said, Michael, it's not really a question that professional historians ask, because in a way, it's a non-issue, precisely because it didn't happen, and we have no way of predicting the many millions of tiny individual events and decisions that would have shaped what could have happened. And like so many sci-fi programs have shown us, time travelling and changing events to make the future different from what it really is is a perilous thing. Yes, you shouldn't mess with the space-time continuum, Marty. And similarly, while sci-fi has shown us what could happen if we have multiple dimensions where the same reality plays out in different ways, that theory is yet to be proven in reality. So we simply don't know what it would be like if the Kalmar Union had remained and if that would have been mainly a good thing or mainly a bad thing. Or maybe just a thing, without any value attached to it. But it's been fun to speculate and to look into the crystal ball a bit. It really has, and I hope our listeners feel the same. And we will continue to explore what actually did happen on our respective podcasts in the coming weeks and months and probably even years to come. As always, Michael, you will do it from the more holistic perspective of all of Scandinavia, whilst Orsa and I will continue to focus more on the micro level of just Sweden, even though that obviously takes into account the stories of all the other neighbours as well. Thank you so much for listening to this special crossover joint episode of a Flatpak History of Sweden and the Scandinavian History Podcast. If you're a regular listener of one of the podcasts, but not the other, you should definitely consider checking out the other one as well. You find it wherever you find quality podcasts. And you find me on Twitter at Schenkman, that's S-H-A-I-N-K-M-A-N, and the Scandinavian History Podcast on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash Scandinavian History Podcast. And you can find the Flatpak History of Sweden account on Twitter by searching at Flatpak History Sweden. And on Facebook, you just search our name. Whereas you can also visit our website, aflatpakhistoryofsweden.com or send us an email on flatpakhistorysweden at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening, and thank you, Michael, for a great collaboration on this episode. It's been a pleasure to do this with you. 
Thank you, likewise. And who knows, maybe there will be an opportunity to do another one of these joint episodes in the future. After all, as we know, Scandinavian history is very interlinked. Definitely. Even though the Scandinavian countries didn't remain in this union, they have always remained close in every sense of the word for good and for bad throughout history. But for now, that's all from the Scandinavian History Podcast and a Flatpak History of Sweden. Thank you and goodbye. Hej då! Hej pa! Bless bless! Harder! Farvel!